Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. We've begun a series of podcasts that started last month where we were talking about the impact of prison on children when one or both parents are incarcerated. Amy Friedman, a friend of mine, a writer, and an activist from California, was one of our guests. She created a club for high school students called POPS, Pain of the Prison System, a club which offered a safe place to share that intimate fact, having a parent behind bars. Today, five million children have a parent in prison. Thanks to Amy, I will be speaking with four young adults who are all too familiar with the many challenges of staying connected to a mom or a dad in a correctional facility. Over the next few weeks, we will meet these very special guests, each of whom have handled their situation differently. And today, we have Catherine Cicada with us. Thank you, Catherine, for spending time with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So, so far in our series about POPs and Echoes of Incarceration, we've talked about the benefits of organizations like this for young people, particularly those in high school. How did you come to learn about POPs and how old were you? Um, I was at Venice High School. I was in my sophomore year, so I was 16 years old, around 15 or 16. Um, I, had a, I had an English teacher, um, Mr. Danziger, who is a co-founder of POPs, and he gave our English class a prompt of where we came from. And I wrote about how um, I came from being affected by the school to prison pipeline and how my father was incarcerated. Mm. And when I went to... Um, one of the group sessions during lunch, um, I realized it was such a safe space. You know, there was warm food. I remember, I mm. remember we had like pasta and salad and it just felt very loving. Um, and I got to hear um, people's stories. So it was, it was really nice. That's great. Uh, how, how many kids at that time when you were around 15 or 16 were uh, at the club uh, at the beginning when you first joined? Wow. So it was, it was packed, the classroom. Mm. There were kids standing from the back with no seats. Um, wow. <laughs> a lot of us were just, you know, um, there's just so many people. I'm going to say like about 20 to 30 kids. That's amazing. That is. And did it, did it change? Did the numbers change over the years uh, that you were at Venice High School? Throughout the years that I was there, every single Wednesday, which was the day that we would all meet, um, it was always full. And whenever we had guest speakers, it would be even more full. So it was really amazing. That's terrific. Now, I, I know, Amy, when we had our interview, she said, initially, the kids say, oh, I'm just coming for the food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, how, how does the word get out about a club like that? Um, luckily, I found out because I was in an English class that with uh, Dennis Danziger, who you know knows more about it. Um, and I would go to my group friends and tell them about it. And so they all supported me, and we all went together. Um, and then it's just by word by mouth 
yeah. to be honest. Oh, that's great. Hey, that's the best way, especially in yes. high school, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> how, how successful do you think a club like Pops really is? I think it's very successful. Um, you know, kids, we need to hear kids' voices. The youth is the voice. The youth is the future. And for an organization like this to be, especially in the high school, um, you know, it's, it's, there's like no words to put other than being very powerful and being very well supported and respected. Did, did you feel, um, well, we know this sense of safety was there, but what, what other benefits do you think um, Pops gave you other than that? Pops gave me lots of benefits. Um, the biggest one that all of us talk about is that we can all say that we are published authors and that we, uh -huh. have, that we come into like a yearly anthology with you know, all of our friends that we grew up with and that we have met. To just even say that is very eye-opening to someone that you just met, saying that, you, saying that oh, like, I'm an author. And they're like, oh, cool, like, for what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, it's very, very impressive, the anthologies. Yeah. I, ha I have most of them, but now I think they get better and better each year that um, – Pops publishes them. Tell us a little bit about um, the anthology. We, we, of course, can't show it, but you can describe it to us. So um, I believe there are about seven anthologies out here. Every year they get published. It is just, there is just so much art with stories, poetry, um, paintings that as students do and having all of our work together is just very it's very emotional um but these books you know every year they're different every year uh, we see each other grow and every year we learn something from each other and from ourselves there's also photography right yes there's literally everything in that yeah. book that's that's wonderful yeah. um now what happens when the anthology goes to press and um you know comes back as a finished work what what is done with the anthology other than of course give it to the the students um every year we have like we perform in this huge theater every every year is different in our locations um so we just perform we have our teachers from high school and um, volunteers people who are curious about pops and they just watch us speak. And at the end of um, showing that to the theater, we just chit chat with each other and have and create new connections. I see. Do is there an opportunity? <clears throat> excuse me to read um, anything that you have written to an audience. Oh, if I have something right now. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. Well, that's a great, that's a great idea. Do you have something that you could read to us? Um, I do, but my books are upstairs. I don't know. Oh, yeah. all right. Oh, I'm sorry we didn't think to, to share that. Well, tell us, tell us what you had written about. Maybe describe it to us. Of course. So I, um, I basically have been writing about how the school to prison pipeline has affected me um, and my father's incarceration, how it affected me. 
And then I write about how I've seen my growth and my struggles as um, someone who grew up in a low income area. So that is where I normally write about. Mm -hmm. Tell us about um, how, what connected you to POPs in terms of a parent uh, in prison? Um, I mean, just having a safe space, especially when I was in high school, um, being connected to folks who have been affected by the system and those who are trying to break the chain. Um, so that's, that's mm. how I just feel very connected. Not a lot of people know, um, about the system other than the people who have been affected by the system. That's right. That's right. Why would you know? Now, t tell us um, about your own situation with your dad. What what was that like? Um, it wasn't a surprise. It was more of a matter of time. Um, him being incarcerated, he's now out, um, thankfully, mm -hmm. but... Um, when he was inside, for the first time, I have ever seen him very emotional and cry. And then I also saw how he, you know, really kept his emotions inside. And ever since that day, I've been trying to figure him out. I mean, mm -hmm. he's been in my life ever since I was a baby. And, you know, there's times where I don't, there's times where I don't know him. And then there's times that I do know him. So it was more of a le learning step for him and I. Um but it was very, it was very emotional. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how, when did he go into prison? Meaning, I guess I want to know your age and at what age were you when he came out? Um, I was still the same age, 15, um, 15, 16. It was around that time. So I was still in my sophomore year. That meaning that he was in prison at that time or had come out the same um this I was the same age when he got in and when he got out oh oh so he so he wasn't in very long is that what you're saying no yeah he's oh. only been there for a couple months but those couple months were very it was it was still too powerful and too traumatizing that's interesting. I, I wasn't sure what you were saying. Yeah. So e even a short amount of time where yeah. some kids um, have parents who will never come out and others yeah. for years and years and years from the time they're a baby. The uh, young man we interviewed uh, a while ago, um, he didn't even know where his dad was. And at 14, was told he was in prison. So every situation is so very, very different. Yes. Um, so even though he was in for a short amount of time, it still had an impact on you. Yeah. Um, do you remember uh, or did you visit your dad when he was in prison during that short period of time? Yes, I did visit him um, with my older sister and my mother. Mm -hmm. We, all of us, um, with my father, we do not live in the same household. Um, it's just my sister and I and my mom. I see. Um, when we went to go visit him, I didn't want to go. My sister didn't want to go. But my mother pushed us to go because she knew that if my father saw us, she would have hope that he would change. Mm -hmm. But um, he didn't. When he got out, um, it was the same pattern, but we just kept our walls together and 
um, yeah, it was just a learning process. But, mm. I see. Now, what what's your relationship with your dad right now? Um, right now, it's pretty good. Um, now that I'm older, I'm only 20, and I'm still learning how to communicate my emotions. Um, now that I'm a bit older, I'm aware of how some people, you know, they don't change. But... Um, um, I try to uh, be more involved with my father, but I also I also just keep in mind that he will never change. And since he's getting older now, like I'm I'm kind of just like, you know what? Like time is ticking, so I might as well try and create more memories with us. Right. What are the What are the um, the difficult areas that you find in terms of? communicating with him are there certain topics that you don't raise or issues um so the biggest issue is me trying to communicate the trauma that he has caused throughout my childhood Mm -hmm. um there was this one particular time which was the only time that I I was about 19 years old I think I told him how he really hurt my feelings in a lot of situations and put me in danger. Um, and he simply just laughed at me and didn't want to, didn't want to really acknowledge it. So that's at that, at that moment, I really realized that my father is, um, he needs help, but he's not going to ever understand what he put us through. And it's, he, he's kind of just like stepping over the past. Um, but I will never forget it, and I hope that he will never forget it and know that there is a wall between my sister and my mother and I. You mentioned your sister doesn't have much of a relationship with him now. Is that correct? Is that accurate? Yes. um, She has completely cut ties with him. She hasn't seen him in about four, three years. Um, She's never confronted my father. It's kind of just like he can get the picture. Um, he always asked about her though. Currently, like he's always like, Oh, how's your sister? Um, but she will never, she doesn't want anything to do with him. So what you're, what you're hoping for in time is that see if, if I'm putting this correctly, that he take responsibility for what he did and how it had an impact on you. Um, I truly believe that he will never see eye to eye with either, either of us. Um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of just like, it is what it is and we are here now. And, um, I mean, there was times where I didn't talk to him for months, which was very hard for me. And I ended up giving in and wanting to be in contact with my father, but, Mm um, yeah. Well, hopefully in time, um, you know, you, you don't know. I mean, people people do change, but I think they have to want to change. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So hopefully that'll come along. Now, you, um, I had uh, spoken to one of the young men that I interviewed about the school-to-prison pipeline, and you brought it up as well. Um, what... Tell us a little bit about um, 
why you mentioned that. Um, so the reason why I mentioned the school to prison pipeline is because when I was 13, I was arrested and taken from school into um, the whole booking system, fingerprints, mugshots, mm. interrogation. Um, and at that moment, I didn't, I didn't fully understand the school to prison pipeline. I didn't even know it, it existed up until mm. I started going to college and um, going to school for criminal justice and learning the system um, and how messed up the system really is for low-income students and students of, of color. Um, so, yeah. Now, t- tell us what happened, if you're able to or willing to tell us how, how you got stuck in the school-to-prison pipeline. So I waited about two months for my court case to, you know, figure out what, what was going to happen to me. Um, the court had made a deal with me because it was my first, it was my first charge. Um, but I really, I explained myself to them, but either way, um, I had to take the deal of, you know how we have three strikes. Mm -hmm. I had to take a deal of them to take away two strikes away from me and leaving me with one. Um, I thought that was a great deal, you know, like I, you know, no serve, no, not to serve any time. Like, you know, that's, that's amazing. Um, but, um, as I got older, as, as how I'm saying it, I realized they didn't give me any counseling, any, you know, help for anger management, none of that. They just threw me out back and it took me up until I got into high school and I met pops. Um, that's when I started to really get help and I still am getting help, but, um, that's great. But it's just very interesting how the system just threw me out there without any help. So it was yeah. kind of like a, it was, it was, it, it feels like a setup to me now. Yeah. Um, what are your our thoughts about the topic of the school to prison pipeline? Do you have any, uh, any thoughts yourself? Of course. Um, I think the prison, I think the school to prison pipeline should not even exist in schools um there should be more counseling i i i get very emotional and very aggravated whenever i see police officers in schools because um you know they treat especially in low-income areas um there's just i i feel like it's a it's a setup for for students in that so the school to prison pipeline to me should not even exist it is it's just terrible how the system works. Well, what what do you think could be done if you say um, it shouldn't exist? Um, what can be done to stop it? Uh, we need to be, the school system needs to be funding more counseling for students, especially in low-income low income areas. Um, there's so much trauma that goes into students in, that, in this area. Mm-hmm. So for the school to allow um, police officers to take us away from the education system into the, the prison system is very, it's just unbelievable. So I think the system should require more counseling for students. Um, so I think that's the only way we can really help students. All right. Um, I, I'm doing a lot of research these days on restorative justice. 
And uh, that is a fascinating topic. And it can, it is being used in many, many cities across the country, um, and particularly in schools, to get in the way of that school-to-prison pipeline. So if there's a student that has done something that is very much against the rules and, and unacceptable, instead of police getting involved, what happens is they are referred to a restorative justice organization. And what happens is the, the student um, has a chance to sit down with the person that they have harmed, whatever that might be. If it's destruction of property or it is something they did to a person and sit across from them and try to find a way to make amends. Isn't that better than taking them to juvenile detention? Yeah, I completely agree that there's, there should be more communication with the people involved instead of bringing um, the system involved. Yeah, and instead of law enforcement. It doesn't yeah. have to be. Yeah, and sometimes in... Uh, there, there is something called a circle where you sit in a circle with the people that you have harmed and your family can be there as well. And you try to work it out to um, make things right. And sometimes um, law enforcement uh, people are involved in this process. And there's been tremendous, tremendous success. And it's also done with adults to keep them out of prison. So, but it's, what you're saying from your point of view is that it begins when you're young and you, your brush with the law was, you were 13. Is that how old you said you were? Yeah. 13. 13. Yeah. Wow. So you, you were fortunate to sidestep, you know, anything really serious, but imagine if you, weren't able to do that and they they put you in a, a juvenile detention facility imagine where you would be so yeah you were you were lucky now I wanted to talk about where you we we have just a few minutes left um you're attending California State at Sacramento now is yes. that right and yes. in the in the fall you'll be a senior yes Right. And what are your long-term goals in terms of how you plan to use your education? Um, as of right now, I my first approach was to become a, pro, uh, a probation officer mm -hmm. um, because I saw how the system worked. Um, but now I want to have more power under my belt for my community. <laughs> So I want to do, um, I want to become a lawyer. So I'm currently now preparing all of my LSAT prep since oh. I'm graduating next year. So it's, yeah. it's time. I'm ready. There are no breaks for me. I'm going to keep pushing and show my community that there is a way out. That's fantastic. Now, if there are young people listening, um, I certainly hope so. Uh, and they don't have a club like Pops um, in their school where, where can they find support? You can find support. Um, you know, you can reach out to us. You can reach out for 
our website at popsclubs.org. Um, you can also contact me at Catherine with a K at popsclub.org. Um, you can just contact us and we can figure it out. Um, we can be pen pals. Um, if you don't have internet, we can do that or, you know, contact through each other. Now that we have a pandemic, you know, the pros and cons um, of using technology, um, you can connect with everybody that's through Zoom. Right. That's right. Yeah, I think that's a, a great message um, to get across because there aren't clubs like Pops everywhere. They're few and far between. But because of Zoom and things like that, um, if they can go on. So be the website, right? Popsclubs.org. Uh, yes. That's right. All right. That's wonderful. What a great message. And certainly I hope that uh, in time, uh, pops will expand. I know uh, Amy Friedman is trying to do that. Um, how 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 far out has she, has she been able to reach? I know she's uh, in other states other than California, right? Yes. So we are in Los Angeles. We yeah. are in the Bronx, oh, and we great. are, I believe, yeah, we're in Pennsylvania, I believe. I think that I think that's right. But I, I wish I wish that that list were much longer. <laughs> yes, yes. Because it's certainly needed. Well, thank you so very, very much, Catherine, for your your time today and for your openness and sharing your story. And I certainly hope that uh, whoever is listening will have gained some insights from you. And uh, that was that was our purpose in focusing on four young people that uh, have dealt with this in their lives. And each of you, as I said earlier, have done it differently. So um, I, I'm very, very glad that you were with us today. And I hope we've been able to raise awareness of this issue. So thank you, everyone, for listening today. Thank you, Catherine, for joining us. And please email me at pursuing.justice five at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts or questions, I'd be glad to uh, answer you. And we'll see you next time on Pursuing Justice. Mm-hmm.